0: The WellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Christoph, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys, I'm Lawrence Tam. And I'm Brett Hill. And this is the Wellness Guys Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into our lives. And Brett, you and I together. Damien is gone somewhere, want to walk about, who knows where he is at the moment, but I'm sure he's busy, uh, you know, taking care of clients or, or something. But I'm, uh, pretty,
1: I'm pretty excited, Lawrence. I'm pretty excited just to get some airtime. I'm going to ask as long of questions as I can, <laughs> just to try, and, <laughs> just just try, to try and get my voice on a little bit on the wellness guys. That's Come right. While Damien's away.
0: That's right. We've got to take full advantage when he's not around to ask questions and to take up airtime. but we can't take too much airtime today because we actually have a very special guest today. Uh, we have uh, Dr. Chad Edwards. Um, he's actually in Oklahoma. He holds a bachelor of science in exercise uh, science and sports medicine and uh, he's attended medical school in Oklahoma State University. Um, what's really interesting too as well he's uh, obviously and he's board certified as a family in medicine um, and but also he's actually been a flight surgeon and dive medical officer in the U.S. Army. He served five years in the special forces uh, and uh, you know it's just going to be great and interesting conversation. He has a third degree black belt uh, in karate so this is going to be an interesting conversation. So welcome to the show Dr. Chet.
2: Guys, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: You know, Dr. Chad, so you uh, obviously have a, also a podcast that you've been just starting up too, which is, uh, which is really amazing. We'll probably touch on that uh, a little bit later, but let's talk, about, um, let's talk about a little bit of background. you know, you obviously gone from, um, I assume, were you a medical doctor prior to going to the Army, or did that come after? And what, what, what kind of made you do the shift from Army to medicine?
2: Sure. So I actually went into the military. I've you know, I, I got pictures when I was like seven years old, running around with a plastic gun in my backyard, you know, <laughs> killing hypothetical bad guys. So it's always always been uh, kind of a passion of mine. And after high school, I went straight into the military. Did eleven years as an enlisted guy. Um, I was actually a, a drill sergeant for three years, which was probably one of the best professional experiences that I've had. Uh, and it was just I wasn't married at the time, so I had no other. Uh, commitments because it's a a very heavy time commitment. But boy, you talk about some good experiences. Um, so I was I was uh, preventive medicine as an enlisted guy. So I did a lot of entomology, went out and did bug collections and and field surveys. And you know, so like the um, you know here in Oklahoma, there's a lot of news about the Zika virus. And so we would go out and do uh, surveys to see if. You know, what kind of uh, health impacts are to, uh, there are to our soldiers and how do we prevent those kinds of things. So did a lot of stuff like that um, as an enlisted guy. Then I would always wanted to be a physician. So it, it, um, that was kind of my end goal, and I just took the long route to get there and had a lot of good life experiences in the way. Uh, then obviously went to medical school, so uh, got commissioned as, a, as an officer once, once I went to medical school. Okay,
0: great. So I would love to ask you this: um, How did you? How did what did you? What did you? You talked about life lessons, and I like to dive into people's histories and, and how how that served them in the, in in sort uh, of in the sure. present. So, how what did you? What are some of the life lessons you learned from the military that has helped you? Um, you know, with your, uh, with your practice.
2: Well, so first, I you know I went to special forces assessment selection for you know, the U.S. Army Special Forces or the Green Berets, and and uh, broke both of my feet. Uh, one of the things that I learned is it doesn't matter how hard you work. Sometimes you just don't get to achieve the goals that you want to achieve. And so, just accepting, you know, kind of where you are and the path that you have in front of you at that time, um, and you know, being okay and smelling the roses, and uh, and then also to that end, you know, I'm a I'm a driven person. Um, I'll, I'm uh, I've been described as high achieving, and you know, those kinds of things. And I've got goals and all those things, and Sometimes it's about the process and not so much the destination but about the process. And when we look at the – you know, stress is a big thing that I focus on in my clinic because I see such a huge implication for a lot of my patients. And it's because of this 24-7 kind of society that we live in and we're just constantly on the go. And just learning how to step away from the, the rat race, so to speak, and just enjoy the day-to-day – Uh, That's that's one of the big lessons that I learned uh, and it's one that I continue to learn. Um, And then one of the bigger ones is just don't ever quit. It doesn't matter. You know, you may not ever achieve the goal that you want, but you if if there's something that you're supposed to be doing, uh, don't ever, ever quit.
1: Chad, I'm curious about your journey as a medical practitioner because uh, my experience in Australia with people who are within the army or the or the, or the services is that the the medical care provided is very traditional, uh, and that people who uh, perhaps want to step out of, outside of that and you know, seek an alternative sort of practitioner, um, sometimes struggle with that and don't get necessarily heaps of support with that. So I'm curious about your journey. You're, you're the founder of Revolution Health and Wellness and, and appear to be taking a more functional approach to medicine. So right. I'm curious to hear how that came about for you and, and you know, whether that was when you were still in the army or after you left the army and what was it that instigated you to sort of think maybe I need to you know, shift my focus into a slightly different direction in terms of
2: medicine. Sure. And I would say that that was a process. Uh, it was, it was definitely a big process and it was kind of, you know, one little thing at a time. I've always been, you know, somewhat outside of the box. You always thought about, and it's why I'm a DO, uh, you know, an osteopathic physician, um, tend to look a little more holistically, look at the big picture. Uh, don't necessarily follow the mainstream dogma, uh, on, on everything. So I've always kind of been that way a little bit. And what happened with me, was I was introduced to a procedure called prolotherapy, and I had one of my commanders that came to me and said, "I need prolotherapy," and I said, "I have no idea what that is." And uh, kind of a story there, but this the guy we found this guy that that does prolotherapy, and he came to our base and wanted to do what we called an in service. He was, he spent the day with us, just telling us about uh, prolotherapy. Now, you know, as you mentioned, I was an athlete. Uh, you mentioned my degree, but I was also an athletic trainer in college and we had t-shirts that said just ice it and you know of course as uh, you know being in the in the medical field as an enlisted guy uh, we called motrin ranger candy and so the two things that we use for sports medicine are ice and motrin or ice and anti-inflammatories and that's just kind of that's what you do this guy came to us and said you know don't use ice after an acute injury and whatever you do don't ever use anti-inflammatories and i thought this guy is completely against everything that I was taught and he's either crazy or brilliant. And I don't know which one it is, but it's going to take me some time to figure this out. So it took me about six months uh, kind of working through, reading through some research that he had um, had mentioned and discussed. And I found the evidence for what he was saying. And it was, it was a little shocking to me. And then I started uh, seeing some patients that there were things that I couldn't I wasn't helping them in my traditional ways, you know, with uh, like runner's knee and patellofemoral pain syndrome and some of these things that just tend to be frustrating uh, to deal with. And uh, we weren't getting success. And so, uh, you know, I mentioned to this one girl, uh, she was a runner. And I said, well, there's this procedure that's new to me. I'm happy to do it. You know, there's no really, not really any risk. uh, If you're interested in it, you know, and she's like, sign me up. I want, because she was wanting to go back to running. And, you know, in, in the special operations community, I, as the physician, these guys, I'm kind of an outsider, you know, in, you know, they, they work on a 12 man team. I'm the doc, uh, they're, you know, leaving their team room, coming to talk to me. And it can usually, you know, it often only goes downhill for those guys. (laughs) So I just find reasons why they can't do their job. And, uh, that's not, you know, our intent. We're supposed to keep them, uh, in the fighting game. So if they come to me and say, my knee hurts, I got a way to make. I got to find a way to make it where their knee doesn't hurt, or where they can do their job without destroying themselves, so that they can go do what it is that they're supposed to do. And prolotherapy was an excellent solution for that. And as I started looking at the literature on prolotherapy, and uh, as I mentioned before, we, uh, you know, when we were talking earlier, there was a large study on prolotherapy that was done in Australia, and they, we, you know, we've got the the Cochrane collaboration, which reviews. Evidence and then they make recommendations based on the evidence. And they said that prolotherapy didn't work. That's what the Cochrane Collaboration said. And I thought, this is there's something wrong here because I know this works and it works really, really well. So I've got a, I've got a problem. The evidence says it doesn't work, but I know it does. And so if if we're wrong about this, what else are we wrong about? And I started seeing things. Now, the next thing I saw was thyroid. And you get patients that come in and they say. Um, you know, I feel like my thyroid's out. I've, I'm fatigued and I, you know, these other doctors have gotten my labs and they're all normal, but, um, but something's not right. You know, why is it that my labs are normal, but I, I feel totally messed up? And so I had to start researching and digging and, and, you know, once you open Pandora's box, you can't close that lid. And I was, I was not helping my patients in the traditional medical paradigm uh, in a way that I was able to help them uh, going outside of the box and doing a more functional medicine approach.
0: You know, you mentioned about the difference between traditional medicine and functional medicine. Could you, could you just help us define, or, you know, cause we've had a couple of people come on, but I'd love for you to define like the difference, you know, so that our listeners know, like there's a massive difference between functional medicine, um, and what they are and, you know, how can someone sort of look for a more
2: functional medicine approach? Sure. So, traditional medical paradigm is essentially grounded in you come. It, it's basically disease management. You go into the physician. Uh, you might go in for preventive care and get a physical exam, uh, and they'll do some cursory things, do a cursory exam, uh, and then they'll tell you, well, you got a clean bill of health, and and go about your way, or they'll identify some kind of disease process that needs to be inter- uh, that needs to be addressed. The, uh, or you'll go in with a complaint. My blood pressure's high. I have a sore throat. I have whatever. And they are looking for a disease. When they find that disease, I, I would argue that diabetes is a really good example. Uh, when they find that disease, the idea and the concept, what I was taught, is you manage that disease. There's no discussion, no consideration, at least in my training, in trying to reverse that disease process turn back the hands of time so to speak make it where you don't have a problem or where you don't need that medication and some things we we can't put the cat back inside the box but we can through uh, lifestyle change um, you know a bunch of different uh, lifestyle interventions supplements things like that make it where you don't need medications and then if if we need we can keep you on medications but the goal is to put you on as low a dose as we possibly can because the higher, higher dose, the higher the side effects, the more problems that we have. So, uh, A traditional paradigm is really disease management. And if, when I hear people talk about health care because it is not health care, it's sick care. So functional medicine is focused on health, preventing illness and disease, trying to optimize how people look, feel, and perform – get them off medications, optimize their nutrition, reduce their stress, uh, those kinds of things. When you have a disease, we want to do everything that we can to try and turn that back, if possible. And if it's not possible, then we're going to do everything we can, again, from lifestyle and supplement uh, kind of perspective uh, to lower the dose of medication. So it's prevention versus disease management.
1: And Chad, it just makes so much sense. You know, you say it like that, it just sounds so obvious but there's still a lot of resistance to this kind of approach within the medical community. So, you know, how do you, how do you find that? You know, how do you find that your approach is accepted within the medical community? And, uh, and, you know, kind of what do you do about that? How do you deal with that?
2: Yeah, so I would say that some of I, – I believe that I've got the medical evidence uh, behind me with what I do. At least not working against me. And I think a good example of that is the way I treat thyroid. Uh, most of the time, if I use a thyroid replacement, I will use natural desiccated thyroid. I usually use uh, Naturethroid, and sometimes I'll use Armour, but generally Naturethroid. Some of my colleagues will, will not use, and in fact, some of the endocrinologists that I've uh, interacted by proxy through patients, um, their endocrinologists will not support the use of natural desiccated thyroid. And my perspective is that when you read the American Academy of Clinical Endocrinology guidelines, clinical practice guidelines on the management of thyroid, nowhere in that data does it say do not use natural desiccated thyroid. It simply says we don't have studies to support it, whereas we do have studies to support the use of synthetic thyroid. And then if you further up in those guidelines, um, before it gets to the the discussion of the natural thyroid – uh, it talks about patients do better, in their reference studies. Patients do better on combination T4 and T3, whether that's synthetic, whether it's compounded, or natural desiccated. Patients feel better and do better when there is a combination of T4 and T3, and um, we could go off on a rabbit trail and discuss that process uh, all day long, but uh, yet they, they don't really generally accept that. And And I don't understand why, other than to say the money trail behind, you know, the pharmaceutical industry. And I, I hate to be conspiracy theorist about it, but I don't have another explanation. So some things that I do are are very well accepted because I've, you know, it when like especially with prolotherapy, it works so well that you just can't deny. Most of the time, you can't deny the benefit. And so you know, many of my colleagues will some many of them have been converted over and said, oh, well, there's something to what you're doing. And, you know, then when it comes to uh, other things, you can put the evidence in front of their face and they just uh, – they, they, it doesn't matter that they see it. They still don't accept it. So a lot of what we do is not accepted. And where I am, it's a very traditional medical environment. Uh, so it's a little bit of an uphill battle. But, you know, from a clinic perspective, uh, there's little competition Uh, I don't have 10 other functional medicine clinics that I'm competing with. I'm just doing the best I can to take care of the patients that want a functional medicine approach. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, I think I mean, from a results point of view, that's what people are gonna be looking after and I think just given your training you know in you know being in the in the army and also in the special forces and stuff that's gonna and also the name of your podcast being against the you know all <laughs> against the grain <laughs> so it's it's about going that's against right. the system anyways right so that's right um and i think I love that approach that you're you know you and you're it's great to see that you're leading the charge because I think that's what it's gonna take is that people start to see um that there's actually gonna be some results out of this and that you know I think the the population in general the you know they're actually you know forcing uh, uh you know the healthcare to kind of change too as well yeah it's a slow movement but it's actually happening I, I see that i honestly believe that it's starting to switch so you know being you know you have a waiting list practice um you know people are, you know have to line up you know to kind of come see what are the typical uh clients that do you actually see like what what the, actually let me frame this question a bit better what are what do you see right now in today's you know 2016 what are the most common problems that you are experiencing that we didn't see 10 years ago
2: well I think um, you know some of that is in you know when, when you look at i uh, I'm, I'm going to go back in history to kind of explain my position uh, when you look at cardiovascular disease prior to 1940 there was no tracking. Uh, we did not identify cardiovascular disease as a disease entity, mm. and so there was even though people probably died of of cardiovascular disease uh, that that wasn't a a diagnosis so to speak so then all of a sudden in 19 in the early 1940s we have this surge of cardiovascular disease and it's just because of the identification right. so I would argue that many of my patients I, I would say that one there's a a um, there's a selection bias um, you know patients coming in because they feel empowered maybe uh, to discuss fatigue I mean, fatigue thyroid adrenal fatigue uh, the biggest one, probably low testosterone. That is a huge issue. And I have some young patients, 21 years old, with a testosterone less than 100. It's phenomenal and shocking. Um, and I don't recall seeing that uh, it, you know, in the 1990s.
0: Where's that coming from?
2: That's a good question. Uh, I would argue that stress is a big component, mm-hmm. uh, but I wonder about toxins, uh, I wonder about uh, heavy metals. Those kinds of things. I don't have the answer, uh, but it's something that I'm searching for. Right, it's something that you're observing at the moment. Right.
1: Yeah. Do Do you think the low fat diets and the avoidance of fat have
2: a, a role in that? Uh, in, in these patients, uh, I don't think I don't think so. In the ones that I've seen, um, the, I've had a couple of them that were, you know, very paleo, uh, CrossFit kind of. Uh, kind of people and the only thing that I could attribute to in these particular and that small group uh was uh stressors uh, save for an unidentified toxin
1: mm. let's talk a little bit about stress because it sounds like that's a big part of what you do and seeing lots of people with stress um do you still see lots of people who are ex-military I mean with your background I imagine that may be the case is that right
2: I I do some I don't see a lot of it because I'm a cash practice I don't I don't accept insurance uh, yeah. I had, uh, I had, and I'm not in a military town, so um, I, I'm not seeing a ton of that. But you know, when I get them, I'll, you know, there's a kindred spirit for sure. Yeah, um, and and I do what I can to take care of them. In fact, I've got one uh, that for him, he's got a, a a knee issue that we're working on with prolotherapy, and this is a young man that has knee pain, and he shouldn't have knee pain. He didn't have a specific you know a uh, trauma where he fell off a building, tweaked it and blew out his knee and uh, this is just kind of a, a pain that came on and now he's on narcotics for his knee pain and my last discussion with him and we're actually starting to make headway um, but my last discussion with him is that I refuse to accept failure in your case, and there are some things I'm just not charging him for because he his case is a little bit atypical in that we couldn't address it as quickly as I would normally be able to address it with prolotherapy, and we're going to fix it. I mean, I, I refuse to accept defeat. <laughs> so. <laughs> so
1: so in terms of the stress you're seeing then, you know, why do you think it is that the population are so stressed out, and, and what sort of solutions are you finding that are really working for people?
2: Well, first of all, I think, again, going back to that 24-7 society, I think there's, we've got a plate that'll only hold so much, and we continue to put more and more and more stuff on it. Um, you know, our we have TVs going until uh, the wee hours of the morning. There's, you know, two hundred channels. Uh, we have, you know, uh, stressors from work. Uh, we don't, and then I, don't, I also don't think that we do a good job of taking that uh, that one day a week and just completely disengaging. Completely unplugging, whether it's a digital detox, well, you know, away from work and, and all of those kinds of things, and I I think that that we should be taking one day and we don't do anything other than interact with our family, build those relationships, uh, take time, and you know I'm I'm guilty of this too, so I, it's, there's just too much on my plate, uh, so I, I think that that is a big piece of it, uh, you know, we've got our cell phones and. We've got you know a hundred different directions that we're getting bombarded, and uh, I, I think that we're we're never giving the system a chance to to disengage and and uh, take a step back.
0: You might actually cause another uh syndrome, you know like the the shakes you know away from those the cell phones and uh and stuff like That's that right. So, That's right <laughs> um I guess like, let's moving forward let's let's talk about the future, and uh, I know you know you can't predict the future, and none of us can, but you know given the trends that you're sort of watching and, and seeing now in, in in functional medicine and you're sort of seeing you know th- things that are atypical and what do you think? um what do you think the trends are going to be like you talked about stress and you're seeing that how you know i always talk in my talks and my speeches i give is that you know the stresses that we're experiencing now we think that's stressful now but five years from now it's going to be even more like it's going to be more on that plate and the plate's not changing so you know that's what right. do what do what are some of the things that we need to look out for what do you think the trend's going to be five years from now and more importantly how do we um you know teach our kids or the next generation to you know, deal and cope, but what are some of the things that we can teach them now and instill that into into them, so that they can actually be able to, you know, at least have a a better resiliency to to cope with that.
2: Sure. Well, I, I think the, one of the big things is just one day a week um, disengage. You know, whether it's Saturday, Sunday. You know, here we've got, you know, we got a five day work week most of the time, uh, and uh, I would argue that you can even you know work a sixth day and you know put in a lot on six days, but one day you you disengage, you step back, uh, just go, uh, you know, play shoot hoops with your, uh, with your friends, with your family. Uh, and like I say, reconnect, uh, on those relationship levels. And I mean, imagine, uh, from a marriage perspective, if you spent one day that was just dedicated to your spouse and your family, I mean, just imagine the implications from that alone.
1: Mm.
2: Uh, it's, I, I think it would be relatively huge. Uh, and, you know, being able to, you know, do some of the honey and, Uh, you know, spend some time with kids and those kinds of, I I just think that's a huge, huge deal. Put the phone down, uh, put that stuff. And again, I mean, this is, it's very, very difficult for me to do. So I get it. I understand, but I think that that's a big piece. And then as far as, you know, where, where do I think things are going? I think we're on, I mean, some of it, I think we're just going to perpetuate and get um, bigger at doing the same things that we do. Uh, You know, from. You know the U.S. government, and I saw a lot of this in the military. was very reactionary and uh, big time in the military. You know, we have uh, we. You know, at the time when when I deployed to Iraq, there was a lot of suicides that were going on, and the the response by command was you implement all these different systems, none of which I saw work. Uh, but it it took some additional time, uh, and you had to go sit and listen to these classes and you know, we're going to squash suicide. Well, it, it's like pushing a rope, you know, it doesn't work. Mm. <laughs> so it's, you know, but we're going to work harder at doing things that don't work. Mm. And at some point we'll figure out that, well, that, that didn't work. And then there'll be a big paradigm shift. So, you know, in regards to testosterone, you know, which we discussed earlier, I think I see, you know, more and more of these testosterone clinics popping up, but they're not asking the question, how did we get to where we are? How did we get, to where this guy has low testosterone, we're still, even though we're treating it differently because we're using testosterone, whereas you know traditional medicine, it it's uh, it's on the the fringe of what you know they they would typically do, uh, but we're still not addressing the underlying problem and making it where they don't need testosterone replacement, which would be our preference. Help that guy feel well without needing it.
1: And it kinda of comes back to the underlying philosophy, doesn't it? Like it's it's basically at its simplest, it's whether your practitioner believes that the body is inherently faulty and needs to be fixed, or the practitioner believes that the body is inherently healthy and that you just need to create the right environment for it to to be able to do so. So I think for people, you know, wanting to take this approach that finding the right practitioner is crucial for them. So What advice would you have, Chad, for people who are trying to find the right practitioner, trying to find the right medical practitioner or osteopath or or whatever it happens to be? How do they go about figuring out who's going to be the right person for them?
2: Sure. Well, the first thing I would say is that there are a couple of different societies that you can go to their website and look. So A4M, which is the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, uh, it's a4m.com, or you could look at the Institute for Functional Medicine. Uh, You can just Google uh, integrative or functional medicine in your area and see what shows up. Uh, and then that's that's kind of casting a net to, to find who, uh, who has a practice like that. And certainly looking at, um, you know, a, a non-traditional approach with uh, chiropractic. And I've seen some amazing results. Um, and we've got an upper cervical chiropractic uh, clinic here in town. And I've seen – I sent them a patient and they – their, when they came back to me, their blood pressure had resolved, their hormone problems had resolved, and I was like, my goodness, you know, I, I definitely believe in chiropractic, and I wasn't expecting these results, and this is what I got, so, you know, I, I didn't fix that, but I was involved in the process, so, you know, good for them, you know, the patient got better, so, you know, looking at naturopaths, looking at, uh, I've got an iridologist uh, in, the, in the area, she does, like, some Indian kind of stuff, so, but then... That's just looking at different uh, approaches, but then can you, do you have a good relationship? Is that provider going to listen to you? Are they going to spend the time with you that you need? Are they open uh, to considering a, an alternate diagnosis? You know, those kinds of things. So I think it's find someone that has the mindset, and then do you actually relate well with them?
0: I think what she just said is really important is, is, is finding a team. Like, you know, you got to take, take care of your body. Like if you're a sports athlete or a team and you got to have a team surrounding you to kind of make you, you know, have that massive impact. So um, just one last question before we kind of head off here. Um, sure. What does wellness mean to you?
2: Uh, I think it's a, a lifestyle. Uh, I think it is, you know, much more than the absence of disease. Uh, I think it's thinking about proactively uh, managing Health throughout the spectrum of your life, making it where I am highly functional until the day the good Lord calls me home, and I'm and I'm gone. The last thing I want is the last twenty years of my life to have somebody help me step down a curb. Uh, you know, to I, I need to be in a wheelchair to go from point A to point B. Um, I, I don't want that. That's not a quality of life. So I think wellness is the mindset and the lifestyle that will help me achieve. Uh, longevity with high function.
0: That's great. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Chad, uh, thanks for being on the wellness guy show. Really appreciate your insights and your take on on wellness and also the different things that you discussed. I think it's just great to kind of hear from different people's perspective and also your perspective on functional medicine and, and how that's applied and and moving forward into the future too. So thank you so much. Uh, Now you do have a podcast. Uh, You just sort of uh, just got started, I guess, and uh, you know, not, not too, too long ago called against the grain. Could you tell us a little bit quickly about it? And where can people find more about this podcast?
2: Sure. So we've got a website uh, againstthegrainpodcast.com. dot com. You can also find us on iTunes, and it's against the grain, uh, against the grain, or against the grain podcast. Uh, so we just got that up and running last week. Uh, so we're making sure that all of our episodes are up. I think there's a couple episodes missing, but uh, basically we're just doing the same kind of thing. I found that in my in my clinic, I spent a lot of time saying the same kinds of things, and I want to educate people uh, on some of the things that we do giving them ideas that there are options to you know what they've been told before uh, you know with prolotherapy and you don't necessarily need surgery uh, with thyroid you can you can get resolution to your fatigue um, you know it's not the end of the road you can still uh, keep looking so that's our goal uh, with that podcast.
0: You know, the best thing about the like we talked about team is that you know the team doesn't have to be someone local. It could be you know, you I can have a team from around the world. We have listeners from all around the world and uh, and you will too now. So thank you, Chad. I really appreciate your time. Guys, hey, make it sure it's an honor, thanks. Make sure you guys go to Facebook.com slash the wellness guys and wellness couch. Love to hear your feedback on this particular episode. Um and just check us out while you're there. Make sure you like us if you haven't liked us there. Share this podcast with your friends, your families, and other strangers you think need a wellness update, and make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're there, please give us a rating and comment uh, there, please. So until next week begin creating wellness into your lives lead by example and let's change the world's health together join us next week on the wellness guy show this has been a production of the check us out on facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash the wellness couch subscribe to each show on itunes and check us out on twitter the wellness couch streaming wellness into your lives